Welcome to Pitch Deck Series 5, where we'll be having bite-sized conversations with established investors in early-stage startups. Looking to provide you with great nuggets of information when raising or considering raising seed capital. Pitch Deck is supported by Trumpet. If you work in sales or marketing and are tired of spending hours a week creating sales decks, then Trumpet is for you. Design personalized, interactive and trackable mini sites in a few clicks. Stand out from the crowd whilst also giving your customers a seamless experience from pitch to onboarding. To find out more, visit www.sendtrumpet.com. That's sendtrumpet.com and join the best in brass. So I'm absolutely thrilled to welcome Gemma Blumen to our pitch studio today. In summer 2021, Gemma joined Creandum as an investment principal. Creandum is a pan-European early stage VC fund, having invested in companies like Spotify, Trade Republic and Depop. Gemma covers the London market and is focused on both B2C and B2B technology businesses. Gemma was Chief Operating Officer at Elder Technologies previously, a Series B health tech startup for three and a half years, where she helped the company scale from two to 120 people and raise their Series B in 2019. She's also been an angel investor for the past two years and is very interested in health tech, marketplaces, age tech, silver economy and sustainability. 80% of her investments have also been in female founders. Previously to that, Gemma was a senior manager at Uber in the UK from 2014 to 2018, where she co-chaired Women of Uber in 2017, and before that was a consultant at McKinsey. She has a BA from Yale and an MBA from INSEAD. So that is quite some background there, Gemma. Delighted to have you on. Great to be here. Thanks for having me, Nick. Delighted. So yeah, let's dive in. So let's tackle both sides. So you as an angel investor and Creandum, what verticals, you know, a couple of verticals, let's say, because I listed a few there that just are really, really exciting you at the moment? Yeah, great question. I think as an as an angel investor, I was primarily focused on some of the verticals that were close to what I knew. So things like digital health, femtech, and some climate tech and silver economy. As an institutional investor, this actually hasn't changed too drastically. So I still focus quite a bit on digital health, but with a little bit of a broader focus. So I've also spent quite a bit of time in mental health tech and just B2B SaaS within within health tech over the past six months. And I've been spending some time in mobility and logistics, I guess partly related to to some of my previous experience and, and marketplaces. And then I have also spent some time in B2B SaaS and then primarily things that would have made my team's life easier when I was an operator. So things like CRM systems, sales efficiency, HR tech, benefits. As a chief operating officer, like my team could have used a lot of the tools that are right now, you know, coming up as new companies. So I'm I'm really happy to yeah, to spend some time with some of those founders. Do you categorize that stuff as future of work? We don't really put that label on it. I guess you could. It definitely, hopefully, will make the future of work easier for a lot of people. And does the the silver economy is interesting to me? It's, it's not 
it's not one I see a lot of decks for or actually just hear the term silver economy that much, which is surprising because it's a huge percentage of the population. What do, do you see as, as let's say, as we get older, but are actually younger than the people before us, you know, 50 is like 40 and 60 is like 50. Do you feel there's going to be a lot of technology coming out to engage these, these people as they get older because they understand technology? Yeah, exactly. And I think you you nailed it there. Like the interesting thing around the fifties and like the people that are sixty right now is that they're actually quite technologically literate and they have mobile phones and they use the internet to buy things and they engage with, you know, their friends on WhatsApp and, and Facebook. They might use like these tools in a slightly different way than like millennials or Gen Zs, but they're definitely online. And I think it, it has been increasingly so an opportunity for especially DTC brands but also other type of technology companies to to cater towards this segment in a way that is technology first rather than you know maybe more brick and mortar type of retail with an e-commerce element to it. COVID has of course like accelerated a lot of this as well. But I think we'll see you know more and more of this towards the future. Yeah, I think it's a super interesting space, actually. And Creandum, you know, obviously a huge institutional investor. How regularly does the thesis uh, of verticals change? You know, is it quite sector agnostic? And are you looking for tailwinds within certain industries that you you guys will go and do deep dives on? Are you quite fixed with your verticals? How flexible is what you're interested in? It's quite flexible, actually. I mean, some of the wider themes, I guess, have stayed relatively the same over the past 20 years in the sense that we both cover consumer and, and we cover uh, B2B in equal, like roughly equal amounts. Some of the areas that we have leaned in a lot are fintech, right? Some of our portfolio companies like Trade Republic, Clio, Swan, Billy, etc. cetera, uh, within that space have done really well. And as a result, we have some more precise theses maybe on those markets than on others and that allows us to go in earlier and and make bets where potentially other people don't yet see the uh, the, the potential or the upside within a certain market or or solution now for the rest we are actually quite flexible and it's it's very much led also by what our tech writers are interested in and one thing that i've loved about joining random is that no one has been telling me look at these type of companies instead it's been like what are you interested in and make sure that you know you pursue those so it allows each of us to develop the verticals and the areas of interest that we're interested in i think it also makes us a stronger team because like of the eight of us that's that do deals like we all have slightly different interests and different types of companies that we that we want to partner with and Ultimately, from a portfolio diversification perspective, I think that's that's what makes us very, very strong. And that changes over time. I mean, some of the, again, like broader themes might stay the same, but because industries have changed a lot, because new trends have come up, you know, over the past years, like also some of our more senior team members who might have been with us for 20 years, they might have started off looking at at fintech and they're still looking at fintech or they started off looking at consumer marketplaces and they're still looking at consumer marketplaces but they have like a widely different view on those now and they're looking for very different types of companies than they would have been five ten twenty years ago 
Yeah, that makes sense. And if, so, you know, let's say a founder or founders make it past the deck stage with you and they book a 30 and they get to have a 30 minute chat. What are you looking for in a founder or founders, um, regardless of the business at this point, that makes you think, yeah, they are backable founders? What does someone have to show you? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. And it's, it's not always the same thing. I think that's a, an important one. I think there's certain characteristics that great entrepreneurs have in common, but we also have to make sure that we don't become too biased and fixate on a certain type of founder. And as a result, miss out on a multitude of other potentially great people that might, you know, pitch slightly less confidently or in a slightly different way. I think for me, some of the, the things that, that successful founders have in common, and the first one is kind of like in, in the intellect and, and innate curiosity to to continuously learn and maybe see the world in a slightly different way than you know their peers. And secondly, I think it's like great resilience and grit to to really build something against all odds and be like a hundred percent dedicated to a company also at times when it might look like it's gonna fail. And that often comes hand in hand with kind of what we call founder market fit, but it it just basically the motivation you have and the experience you have in the business that you're building. So why are you like solving this particular issue? And and is that because you've experienced it yourself, maybe as a, as a customer, or is it because you have, you know, worked in that sector before and you thus have seen like certain opportunities and you have like unique insights to to build there. That is often also like motivation is often related to grit, right? If you're very motivated to build this particular type of company, then you'll probably stick around when things get really tough. And then I think there is an element of like, it's a combination of like humility and confidence that is quite, I guess, difficult to pinpoint. But you need people that believe strongly in their vision and that, you know, even when you get 40 no's from investors, will still go and pursue the, the like 40 first like, yes, you know? first yes uh, but you also need people who are constantly learning and constantly reflecting like what can i do better what can i do differently and and today i might be the ceo of a 10 person company but tomorrow it might be a 15 person company and then it might become like a 100 or 200 person company and and what do i need to learn to to be an effective leader there and what does my how does my company need to pivot so i think that's that's a very interesting combination between the confidence to to pursue your ideas, but the humility to know that you still need to constantly level up and and learn. Yeah, I absolutely love that. I think that that's awesome for anyone listening. Bang on there. So before that chat, a deck will land in your inbox. Obviously, this this podcast is called Pitch Deck. What do you say as 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 Gemma as Creandum? What what does a good deck look like to you? Yeah, so I think this depends a little bit on the stage, right? So if it is a very early stage deal, basically where you haven't, as a as a founding team, you, you might not have even have launched yet, you might not have a product yet, then it's really all about the vision. So convincing your audience that A, there is a pain, like there's a problem or a pain point, and B, that you have like the unique angle to tackle this and, and you can build something, something big there. And that that means focusing on the problem that you want to solve but and but also on, on you as a team and like why you're like uniquely positioned to do this as you continue your journey and and start your business and launch your product and get some new customers 
I think that changes. So when you come to more of a mature seed stage, you will have like, you know, at least some products to show so you can talk about what you've learned and, and what you've built and the reaction of customers there. And hopefully there'll be like things like reviews or retention metrics that you can you can talk to. Something that shows that basically, A, you've developed a great product and B, customers love it. And then the towards like series A and beyond, like it's there's a lot more metrics that that you can show. And that starts to get into like growth metrics showing growth and traction and consistently and uh, retention and engagement, but also revenue and, and unit economics start to matter there and showing that you are on your way to build a healthy business and that your business model works, that you are, yeah, that if you put money in, you can accelerate and scale basically. Now, and at that point, potentially also future plans become more important. So showing that you've thought through like, how you're going to use the proceeds of your of your investment and and what the next iterations of your product and such would look like and how you will use the the money that you raise to to build out your team etc cetera, etc cetera. so it moves a little bit from vi- very much vision focused in the beginning mm-hmm. to more showing your your success based on your current metrics and and data and, and plans and that early stage deck, you know, it doesn't need to be a thesis, does it? It just needs to pique your interest to, to say, yes, I get the problem. Yeah, I kind of get your solution. And you, you seem like the right people to build it. Exactly. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. And there, there is some, some spaces where we are willing to bet very early. And it's oftentimes spaces that we know well. But equally, you know, we might pass on a deck or a company because it is too early for us to to assess if this is going to be welcomed by customers and and such. And then we might wait to the next round and stay in touch. Like there's little a founder can can do to influence that. It will depend on whether they happen to be building in a space that we understand and know well, or it might be a founder that we know really well. Yeah, that makes total sense. That makes sense. And what uh, for, for a, a, an early stage, let's stay in that area, what would sort of put you off a deck? Mm, well, I mean, I guess the easy one is if, if they're trying to build something that so many others have built or are building. So it doesn't seem to be like a unique approach or a unique take on a, on a market. So the competition is quite big for you in early stage. You'll, you'll look at a competition slide with, with, with wide open eyes. Well, it, it wouldn't necessarily be the competition slide in the deck. It would oftentimes be, oh, we have seen several of these companies already, right? And sometimes maybe with stronger teams or, you know, more fun, funding already. And then at the early stage, you also want to, you want to build something unique, right? You want to have some sort of insight or angle that shows that it's okay to build in a similar space as others, because many, if it's an attractive space, many people will be building in it, but we would still be looking for you to have a unique take on how you're going to be building there or unique experience that will allow you to win in this space versus others. I think that's a key one. And then the other one is like the market that you're building in. And, And if it is like, a fundamental like type of business model and market where we think you can build a large company. And this doesn't always matter because maybe it's an emerging market and we think it can grow over time. But I guess over, you know, we, we have 
now like experience working in in a lot of sectors and and we have looked at a lot of different market and market opportunities and found that some are much more attractive than others. Uh, I think there there could be a lot of other potential things. It could also just be simply that you don't relate to the solution or the problem that they're building. And that can be very personal on an investor level. I think it's one of the reasons why, for example, female and femtech companies don't get as much funding because they most investors are male and then they look at a problem around I don't know, menstrual menstrual health or fertility or menopause. And they're like, eh, don't quite get it. Um, <laughs> and this is why it's so important that our investor community reflects our our society, because that means we'll be more likely to, to invest in those solutions that are really needed. Yeah, 100%. Couldn't agree more with that. And finally, in terms of trying to hook hook the eyes of someone like yourself you know or an institutional like like creandum is it as simple as just submitting a deck on 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 a website or do you suggest trying to you know sort of connect on linkedin and build some sort of rapport or or engage in some way uh you know you know for, for some for for a founder that hasn't got the contacts but believes they got a great idea what, what do you think the best way it to, to hook the eyes of someone like yourself is yeah it's a good question I, I think i think one of the first ways would be to try to establish those contacts right so warm intros unfortunately are still the best way to get on an investor radar simply because you get so many calls outbounds or inbounds that the likelihood that will engage if somebody that we know re- like refers you is just much higher so and that doesn't have to be somebody you know well, but could just be seeing that you have a mutual connection on LinkedIn and saying, hey, would you mind asking this person if they're open to look at this deck? LinkedIn is normally not a great way to reach me and most investors because you get so many requests a day that people just don't, I don't have time to look at all of them. So yeah, let alone read them and, and engage. Email, call emails are also a good way. I mean, my email is gemma at crandom.com and we have all our emails on our website. So you can just reach out with a deck and a, and a, and a tight pitch. I, I do always look at those and reply. So I think that is a, probably a second best way after an intro to, to connect to me at least and, and most investors. Interesting. And, and you say you, you snuck in the word tight there. So keep it short, keep it snappy and uh, attach a, a short snappy deck as well. Don't, don't, don't yeah, write long, exactly. long paragraphs. I mean, I think the key there is, again, like be mindful of people's time. You know, I, I might get like, you know, a dozen of those those emails in a day or a week. And and if you want people to reply quickly and to engage with you, then you have to make it easy for them to do so when they have little time. Because otherwise, I might, you know, so engage with it, but I will have to put time aside to do so. And that might be a week later than, you know, the same day because I I have like a few minutes in my calendar. Perfect. That's a a great place to end it. Some brilliant tips for anyone listening there. So Gemma, hugely appreciate your time. Thank you. Thanks, Nick. Great to speak. Thanks for listening to today's episode. And if you enjoyed it, I'd hugely appreciate it if you can share it on socials or indeed just with your network. If you're feeling extra generous, I'd absolutely love it if you could leave us a review on Spotify, the Play Store or iTunes. That is the only way we get more listeners. So thanks for that. 
Support for Pitch Deck also comes from Planes Studio. If you've got an idea for a business and want to quickly get a product live, you should check them out. Whether you're a startup or scale-up, they help you take your idea, build a prototype, and launch it into market before your competitors do. And they'll also keep learning from your customers to only build the features you need as you grow. We've worked with them at Horseplay Ventures, and I can safely say they're some of the smartest product thinkers and builders out there right now. So check out planes.studio.